Good morning. It is so good to be here with you all. It is just a joy. I was here about a year ago, and I missed you all since then. Uh, it's just such a pleasure, and uh, I am I'm grateful to, to uh, be part of the service here this morning. And um, so why don't we go ahead and rise for the reading of the scripture. And today I'm going to speak from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So you can turn there if you like, or you can just follow along. Now, we're going to focus on 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 16, but I'm going to go ahead and read the whole chapter, just for context. Hear now the word of the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. For I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with pervasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God ordained before the ages of our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For they had known and would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we ask now that your Holy Spirit would illuminate this word to us. Open our hearts and minds to be receiving vessels of this truth. And may your, may your two-edged sword of the word now convict and, and build up and strengthen and sanctify your saints. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning, I'd like to speak of the spiritual walk of life in Christ that we all enjoy and partake of. But from our passage today from 1 Corinthians 2, there's several questions really posed to us here. What does a spiritual walk with Christ look like? And so what does living this new life in Christ look like as we live it out? And so I'd like to begin by asking some questions for us all to meditate on, perhaps as we, as we interact with this scripture today. Well, just some questions about our life. We walk through life in a different way than you might see other people around the world walking it. So we should ask, are we discerning of the deep moves of God, of the, even the principalities and powers that are around us? Are we equipped to engage 
these by faith? Do we have the word-based knowledge to discern rightly? It's a good question. Do we rely on the hope of Christ or some other hope to get us through the day? Are we usable contributors to his kingdom-building work? And do we know what it means to find true rest and true peace and joy in the Lord because we're not shaken when the carnal events of the world around us shake a little bit? And so, brothers and sisters, the, the Holy Scripture's exhortation here is that we must walk by faith. We must walk by the Spirit and be spiritually awake. Be spiritually discerning, not just the surfacey considerations that we see. You might have heard uh, back in Colorado, where I'm from, our church, we have a church building like yours um, in, uh, in Elizabeth, Colorado, and uh, last year it was vandalized. Uh, three times, in fact. Uh, they graffitied all over the outside walls, they shot out every window, and, uh, and then they, they spray painted on the concrete, which was really hard to get off. It was really just annoying. There was a lot of physical damage. And actually, they broke out the windows, and then it took us forever to order the glass. And then they finally replaced them. And you might have heard this. Like, the week that the guy got finished replacing the windows, they came back and shot them all out again. <laughs> so we're just like, Lord, what's going on? But it was good, because the physical damage that happened, it kind of struck a nerve within us. I mean, it's kind of hard to worship when your windows are all broken out. You can kind of envision that for a moment. But it wasn't just that physical damage. It was a reminder from God of the spiritual reality, that there's something else going on here than just some graffiti and broken glass. In his providence, he reminded of this, of his protection, of his, of his love, of his grace, of his mercy. These blessings that we, so, we just so take for granted. I mean, we had, we had worshiped there five years with no, with no vandalism. Are we thankful for that? I mean, that's a good thing to be thankful for. His grace and mercy, we take it for granted. But I was also reminded, and I think the whole congregation was, that we have a, lovingly, a loving Father who reminds us that there's a spiritual activity going on here. There's a spiritual reality. And that's exactly what our passage is speaking about today. And what we noticed foremost is that we see, despite the distractions of the world, we see Christ, and we see us in a real battle involved with that. In the words of Joseph, indeed, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And in the words of the Apostle Paul, we are not overcome with evil, but we overcome evil with good. So seeing the works of the Lord, even amongst apparent calamity, is one of the key aspects of walking in a life with Christ. And more specifically, we call that spiritual watchfulness, which is really what I'd like to speak about this morning, what the Lord's brought uh, for, for this congregation here. And so what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to discuss two things. Watchfulness. But first, before we discuss watchfulness, which is really the application, we have to consider the spiritual nature of how we're going to be watchful. Before, what are we watchful of? So first, let's discuss this spiritual aspect that is spoken about in the Word today. And then we'll talk about how to be spiritually watchful. Our primary text, as we mentioned, is 1 Corinthians 2. We'll take a look at some other scriptures. But here, Paul, at the beginning, this is very, the very beginning of his letter to Corinth, isn't it? His first letter to Corinth. Um, it's at the beginning of it. He has to first ensure 
the Corinthians understand what's really at hand. And so Paul lays kind of a foundation first before going into really several admonishments he has for them for the rest of the book. He wants to first lay out a foundation of the spiritual depth of where they are and what they're experiencing before he can address sins, as it is for us. Notice in verse 3 and 5, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and, and in my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul came preaching to Corinth, not with words of human wisdom, but by the Spirit and, his, and God and his power, so that their faith would be in God and not in a man in this time. God is directing our thoughts and our considerations and our affections to be aligned with the spiritual and supernatural work of God. And why can we do this? Because we're alive in Christ. Even when we were dead, dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. This is incredible. This is the incredible grace of the gospel. And it's similarly similarly echoed in Colossians 3, which some of you might know and may have memorized. If you were then raised with Christ, set your mind on things above. For you died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you died. It's an old man, old self, gone. You're now raised with Christ. And so that by faith in him, we can know and understand and discern those things that are above. And so this we walk by faith, not by sight. For for now I live in the flesh, I live by faith that is in the Son of God. This is faith, the convictions of things not seen but hoped for. And as we move along in our passage, we see in verse 7 now that with this life of faith, we know the wisdom of God in a mystery talked about mystery this morning a little bit around the the sacraments. The supernatural incredibleness of the gospel that testifies to the glory of God. But those who have been called out and reconciled to God, we can. As Paul said to, to the deacons, you might remember in 1 Timothy 3, he said deacons are to hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. You thought about that? The mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Because this faith cannot be just comprehended and explained and written down perfectly and precisely by natural man. No, it must be revealed by God, Holy Spirit. Now, we know that we can know the things of God, and we can know them how? In our daily lives, in our day? Do we do that by pure study? If we just were to study every commentary ever written? Would we then, would we then have an understanding of God's Holy Spirit? Perhaps finding an answer to every question you've ever had, would that do it? Or would you have perhaps the right forms and traditions? A perfect perfect layout of how to glorify God. These can be good, and we put them into practice and we live them out. But this is not how we know God. No, we know him by his Spirit. Look at verse 9. For eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them, how? To us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So there is a a depth that is attained differently here. 
See, the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be perceived by human reasoning apart from the illuminating grace of the Holy Spirit. For it's by the Spirit that we may know God and know what God is doing. So there must be some reliance or dependence upon that Spirit. And I think it's a good question for us to ask, what are we relying on? I mean, I rely, you know, on my vehicle to get me from point A to point B, particularly that's good when it has gas in the tank. I can rely on it a little bit more. Or when all the tires have air in them, I can rely on it a little bit more. But moment by moment in life, there's a million considerations like that, isn't there? But what are we relying on from God? Are we relying on his word? Are we relying on prayer and his spirit? What are you, what are you leaning on? What are you trusting in? What are you depending on? What are you counting on today? Your smarts to figure it out? That you planned everything right? Your creative solutions to issues? These are sometimes my temptations. But are we expecting and anticipating the Spirit of God to direct your steps? As our text says, God has revealed these things by his Spirit. And as we see later in verse 11, this is the only way we know the things of God we can comprehend the thoughts of God is by the Spirit of God. And verse 12, being renewed in Christ, reconciled and raised to life, the Spirit of the world is not with us anymore. That's not, our, not guiding us, not directing us. For we have received the Spirit of God that we might understand the things freely given to us. And this is how it is for us to be spiritually aware with discernment. Paul goes on in verses 13 and 14 and says, These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but with which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So a a comparison is drawn here. Do you see that? We have the natural man or unsaved person, cannot even understand the things of God, for they have to be spiritually understood. They can't, they can't be received. Th- that's why some of these terms that the Bible uses, lost, blind, are foolishness, cannot even comprehend if they wanted to. They cannot see them. Their eyes are not open to the truth. In Acts 28, you might remember that Paul is giving his testimony to King Agrippa. Anybody remember that? King Agrippa. And, and Paul recounts that Christ called him to preach to the Gentiles. And he says this, I was called to preach to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they might turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith. So that's the picture. Closed eyes, open eyes. You can see now. That's a big difference, right? In a very dark room, we noticed, my boys and I noticed it gets very dark here. Maybe because you're kind of out in the country a little bit, which I kind of like because you can see the stars better. But when you live by a city, it's hard to, it doesn't appear so dark. But imagine going from complete darkness, where you can't see anything, to being able to be in a room like this where we can see everything. It's, It's a significant change, and this is what the Spirit of God does. 
walking with God, understanding what's going around, not just, you know, these physical things. But what about seeing with eyes of faith spiritually? This is a tremendous gift given by God that you may know him. As Paul says in Philippians 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is to be spiritually discerned. And the spiritual discernment is how we can receive the things of God. And without it, as our scripture says today, the things of God are foolishness. Some of us were at the uh, abortion mill yesterday in Augusta, and you, you actually saw this right before our eyes. The, the, the truth, the truth of eternity, the truth of the universe, of the galaxies, is being proclaimed, and people, what do they say? It, it, it's clearly, it's foolishness to them. They can't even take a moment to receive it. And of course, that's what the word says, isn't it? The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There's often a time, sometimes when you minister in situations like that, where we just go, I don't get it. You don't, I, and, and that, is the, that is that comparison. Cannot discern spiritually, and we can discern spiritually. Do you see such a gift this is from God? Who are we? So undeserving, undeserving to receive this. It's a huge blessing. Well, Paul concludes this section that we just read in verse 16 by saying, Who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What man or woman or boy or girl can know all the thoughts of God? Who can understand God in all his ways? We cannot. His ways are surely higher than our ways. Like, remember what God said to Job? Do you know when the mountain... When the mountain goat gives birth? No, we don't know these things. Indeed, we cannot know. But we have been given the spirit of God, and we have been given the mind of Christ. We've been given the word, him the, the word. We've been given all things for life and godliness through him. So while we don't understand all the mysteries of God, we have the mind of Christ. And by faith, we have spiritual discernment. And just one thing back on our church's vandalism you know, perhaps the physical damage wasn't really what God was waking us up to. You have to consider that sometimes, the deeper considerations of God. And I think that's what this passage bears out for us today. What could be the spiritual considerations? So when something happens in life, you have to say, what's going on spiritually? I think at the very least, I know the Lord used it to get our attention uh, as a congregation. What were the deeper things at work that God was revealing and refining and showing to us? Could it be, even among, amongst us, a spiritual lethargy? Could it be the cares of the world creeping in? Could it be roots of bitterness among us, even in the body? Envy among mothers? Could it be men steeped in decades of sin? Could it be marriages fractured by selfishness? Could it be his, a reminder of his grace, of his protection, of his love, of his sustaining mercy? Could it be also a reminder of the world and, and the, the, the God's judgment upon the world and what's going on as they turn from him? So we want to be spiritually watchful and aware. Well, we don't want to start turning every little thing that happens into some spiritual event that we have to analyze. We don't want to do that. 
But we do need to be discerning and aware. Could God make connections? Absolutely, he does. We see that. Was it coincidental that Colorado, we had the worst year of forest fires? I can't remember how many millions of acres burned in Colorado. It was in uh, 2011. And that happened to be, just randomly, happened to be the year that the Colorado legislature passed the most anti-God laws in its history. And oh, by the way, we had the worst year of forest fires. Sometimes these connections are interesting, but they, they, can, they should not captivate us, but we should again, our response as the people of God should recognize, this is real. Our God is real, and he's aware, and he's in control, and he knows everything that's going on. For there are times we see this in the Word, right? Do you remember one of the, the churches uh, of Revelation, Laodicea? We talked about this yesterday briefly. Laodicea, remember they didn't just have lukewarm water in their city cisterns and pipes that clogged them up. They actually were lukewarm spiritually as well. You're neither hot nor cold. So there was that physical connection that God providentially connected to their spiritual hearts. So we don't just completely ignore the spiritual implications. It's certainly important to pray, to seek the Lord in these things. But we must, we must humbly consider, if your building is vandalized, why did it get vandalized? Is there something deeper spiritually going on? But if you just disregard the vandalism and say, well, that was just random, then you're not considering the deeper connections, the spiritual aspects, as we are called to do, as we just read, live by the Spirit of God. And disregarding spiritual implications would be similar to like a, a watchtower sentry on a guard post, right? Think of a, maybe a castle with big castle walls, and they would put uh, sentries upon the watchtowers. And perhaps there was along one of the walls of your kingdom, of your, of your town, there was a big explosion went off. And you as the sentry just go, eh, no big, nothing to see over there. No, that would, that would be not discerning of what's going on. And so we have to be spiritually discerning as well. Does it mean, again, every single little thing in life that happens is some cryptic spiritual message? Certainly not. And some have erred down that path. But we must be aware of the spiritual realities. And just, just to conclude this portion, we have, when do we see spiritual struggles at hand. And I think the word gives us some great indications here. We must be aware of the spiritual realities, particularly when there is confusion. You ever sense confusion in the church? Confusion in your midst, confusion in your home, confusion in your marriage or your relationships. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, the enemy is the author of confusion. So we must be spiritual watchful, spiritually watchful in this time. When there's lies against the truths of God, as John 8.44 tells us. And when there are struggles, when there's wrestling, as the word says in Ephesians 6, right? for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. This wrestling, this struggle with the power of evil. And so when, when you sense confusion or chaos or, or sometimes illogical circumstances, lies and wrestling, to be spiritually on guard. Just like we see here in 1 Corinthians 2, we've been given the Spirit of God so we can comprehend and understand 
the things of God, unlike the natural man who the things of God are foolishness to. And don't, don't consider spiritual discernment of the people of God is what I like to call, sometimes I think of it this way, an 80-20 proposition. And I say, well, you know, sometimes I, I think about things spiritually. You know, when there's some gigantic event in my life, I may consider and meditate on this. But that's not how we walk as Christians. It's not an 80-20 proposition. It's all the time. Remember 2 Corinthians 5. It says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. And this is reflected throughout Scripture. We can know the deeper moves of God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit on the things of the Spirit. So this is not an occasional call. It's just not an occasional, but it's a way of life. Setting our minds daily according to the Spirit, this is freedom. This is really the liberty that we have in Christ. This is living life with no condemnation. This is a pathway of joy to the Lord. Finding rest and solace in Him. Because you see, see with eyes of faith the reality of what God's doing. And many of you uh, may have experienced this even in your life. I know six or seven years ago uh, in our church in Colorado, our session meetings, which we typically have in an open forum once a month, but we typically meet every week, they were, our session meetings were very challenging and very intense. Uh, and there was actually conflict uh, on, on the session. And it wasn't a coincidence that the same time that we're meeting in the church building having session meetings, each of the elders' families at home were having a very difficult evening spiritually. There was spiritual battle taking place. And we see this as we enter into, as we read in some of the liturgy today, as we enter into the grace of our God in this battle that is going on, the reality that's going on. You can ask any pastor's children this. They know, they know about this. They know maybe when daddy is at session meetings, your elder's family is experiencing spiritual battle or just even preparing to minister. See, I was, I was in the military for 10 years. I went overseas many times to, to, to engage in wars of flesh and blood. Men and women died. Right? Men, men did not come home. Women were left as widows. But that's a war of flesh and blood. But that's actually not our battle right here today. Our battle is spiritual in nature, and it actually has much higher stakes. Our battle, though already has a champion. It already has a victor. We stand for Christ. Our battle in Christ is against the wiles and schemes of the devil, as we read in Ephesians 6. But just earlier this week, just as one example that I was reminded of, we were kind of having these bizarre and confusing, difficult challenges with a neighbor. A neighbor, right along our property line. And And I shared this with one of my brothers at church. I said, it's just really confusing and odd, you know, and kind of, a, kind of a, a, a battle to it, you know, sort of like one of those no-win situations, whatever I would say, I was the bad guy. <laughs> but then later in the day, my, my, as I was explaining this to my brother, he said, 
that's interesting. Are you like preaching a sermon somewhere this Sunday or something like that? And I said, yes. He, he said, well, yeah, no wonder you're having trouble with your neighbors. And that, that's, that's spiritual discernment. As we engage, you can expect engagement by faith will we'll, we'll elicit a response. This is an active battle going on. So as you engage the battle, moms and dads, go try and raise your children for Christ. You're engaging in the battle. Right? As we step forward in faith in anything, with just the conviction even of reading your word, you all know that. You may pick up the word to read it and be distracted all of a sudden. Right? You may desire to spend time and commune with the Lord and be pulled away for a hundred other reasons. We know the reality of it. but We can engage what the Lord is calling us to. Just a final point. We cannot fear the battle, right? We must step into it with faith. And we must remember that this battle, the outcome is known. We know how the story ends, as it were. He who has overcome the world, who's disarmed principalities and powers, he's put them to open shame, triumphing over them. We give thanks to God for our victory in Jesus Christ in this. So now that we've taken a look at some of the aspects of the spiritual realm that the Lord has told us about in 1 Corinthians 2, let's move on to watchfulness. So now combining that idea of the spiritual and watchfulness so that we can be spiritually watchful or discerning. I want to start off with a a passage by Thomas Brooks. You might have heard of him, a Puritan writer. He said this, watchfulness includes a waking or a rousing up of the soul. It's a continual, careful observing of our hearts and our ways in all the turning of our lives that we will keep close to God and his word. That's watchfulness. It's a good definition. And what I'd like to do is actually take Thomas Brooks's definition and break it down into three parts, three aspects of watchfulness for us to consider. So number one, watchfulness calls us to take heed. Take heed. And we see from Brooks' definition there's really two aspects to watchfulness. We must take heed to our hearts first, and then our ways, or how we live it out. The first consideration of where is your heart? Where is your heart? And uh, I think it was back in 1999. Does anybody remember 1999? Okay, some of you were there. I I, I was snowboarding in Alaska, and uh, we were going up the chairlift one time, and I I was confessing to him much anxiousness. Anybody been been anxious? Anxiousness, and just like, oh, my heart is all, you know, locked up. And he asked me a question. He said, how much time are you spending communing with God versus fretting about this issue? And that was life-changing for me. And I rem- you know, sometimes the Lord will do that in your life. And he brings a brother or sister, and, and uh, that was life-changing. I went home. I was convicted by my heart, convicted in my heart. I shared this with my wife. And, and the man on the chairlift shared this with me. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart. Take heed to your heart. Recognize what you're feeding this heart. Are you feeding it good things? Are you feeding it the truth? What are you feeding it? Because from it flow the springs of life. God made some radical changes in our life, from my wife and I, uh, during that time. 
And the word of God quickened deeply within me. That I was not, I was not guarding my heart. But we are called indeed, aren't we, to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, to let our requests be made known to God and he will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So we must take heed to our hearts this way. Protect them from evil. Nourish them with the word. And walk a life that's in communion with God. We must take heed to our ways as well. Our hearts and our ways. We must examine our lives. And see if our lives, actions, line up with a watchful heart. Psalm 39 says, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue, I will guard my mouth with a, with a muzzle, so as long as the wicked are in my presence. And in being watchful, we're to take heed to our inner and our outer selves, our desires and our deeds. So similarly, watchfulness includes watching the steps of our feet. Consider the words of Paul to uh, young Timothy. In uh, 1 Timothy 4, he says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the, unbelie- and to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and doctrine. We are to give attention to these things the Lord's called us to. We are to take heed to see if we're living out these spiritual convictions that the Lord's brought up within us. I think it was about a year ago, or maybe a little bit less. Some of you might know uh, pastors Lovett and Bradshaw in Tennessee. Uh, and, uh, and they sent out an email to all the, the, the CPC elders. And the title of the email was A Plea for Help. You ever got, that's a pretty significant title, to send, to an e- send out an email to all of your, your elders in the entire presbytery. And, and so, you know, not going into to the email, but just, just consider, you know, these are, these are godly men. These, are, these have been pastors for 20 years, 25 years. Sends an email to the leadership of the entire congregation, a plea for help. Probably something big going, pretty go, going on, right? Something pretty significant in their life. And my conviction was, okay, well, I can write back and say, hey, brothers, I'm praying for you. And that, that's nice. And they appreciate that. But my conviction afterwards was, whoa, this is, this is a big thing going on in this congregation. Would it be appropriate to engage in the supernatural aspects and means of grace that God's, God has given us in building his kingdom? Like, let's pray. Maybe, can we throw together a quick, I don't know, conference call with all the elders and pray for these brothers? This is a significant event. And I think that eventually happened. But that wasn't my immediate conviction. It was, oh, write back an email. I'm busy. I've got other things going on in life. No. My heart was convicted and broken that we need to engage in the spiritual aspect of what God is doing, these these means of grace that he's given us. And in that, we are called, and I was quickened to take heed that my heart conviction would then be applied in my life. You might think of this uh, as being aware in your own life. Fathers, mothers, are you aware of the potential pitfalls and threats that could come after your family? 
and, and elders and every congregant looking at the potential wolves that will come after the church. And then proactively taking steps in teaching and guarding regarding those threats. This is what we think of uh, regarding elders, right? To, to watch over the flock. In fact, John Calvin said in, a pastor ought to have two voices, one for gathering the sheep for worship and another for driving away the wolves. So may we be watchful to take heed to our hearts and our ways. Secondly, watchfulness calls us to be awake, to be awake, to be aware, to be attentive to what is going on. Jesus instructs us to be spiritually watchful for the return of Christ, watchful for seasons and times, watchful in the word of God, and watchful in our circumstances. You might remember the parable of the faithful and evil servant in Luke chapter 12. Christ's admonishment is to stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. I love that. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. For if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. And so Jesus condemns the Pharisees following this parable because while they could, not in, while, while they could interpret the weather, which was good, they couldn't discern the times, the time when Christ was on earth and what spiritually the significant action that was taking place. We also must be watchful and awake to ensure we're avoiding spiritual slumber. Spiritual slumber. Something we have to be on guard, guard for. Clearly, we have to watch the potential wolves that, that may prowl for the church, the enemies of God, but also and just in regard to our time and our opportunities and other seemingly good ideas. Are we prayerful? Are we, are we Godward? Are we vertical in our considerations? Are we humbly seeking counsel? We should be looking out to see what God is leading us to. Deacons should be aware and watchful for the gifts in the body uh, so, that, so that deacons can then match those gifts and those resources to those in need. Right? Fathers, are, are we aware of the spiritual dangers against our family and the whole congregation here at Foothills? Are you seeking the Lord for unity that you may be spiritually aware of what even contributes to and threatens the unity of the body? So we can't afford to be asleep or unaware. We have to be spiritually awake. Thirdly, watchfulness calls us to look for and anticipate and expect the great works of God. So we're watchful for the dangers, but there's another important aspect of watchfulness. We're not just watching for the dangers and the threats, but we're looking for the blessed work of God. We're hopeful. We're always looking to Christ with a hopeful outlook of what he's going to do next, anticipating the next great work of God, expecting his grace. See, we're an, we are an expectant people, anticipating the fulfillment of his promises, hopeful in his kingdom come. And you might remember in 1 Peter 2, we're referred to as pilgrims and sojourners, which is interesting, because pilgrims are actually very hopeful people. I mean, you wouldn't set out on a pilgrimage just to nowhere. Well, yeah, I guess you might. But typically, a pilgrim says, I actually think there's something better over there than there is here. Right? That's what a pilgrim does. Otherwise, you just wouldn't pilgrimage. you just stay where you were. But that's what we're called because we know where the Lord is going. We know his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. 
We know his kingdom is advancing. It's like that, that tiny mustard seed so that grows into that big plant. We know that that plant is still growing and spreading around the world today. Right? And in that way, we're looking with an inter- eternal perspective at all things. So we're spiritually nimble along the journey, adapting to his will, shifting with different seasons. Right? God may have you and your church in a different season right now but we're steadfast in Christ. We're standing on solid ground. Yet we're seeking the Lord and what he's doing. So may we anticipate the work of God and pray with watchfulness. Be watchful even in our prayers, looking for God, looking out for what he's doing. Have you ever watched birds? Children, have you ever seen a bird? Ever seen a bird? What's your favorite bird? American goldfinch. Birds will rarely just sit there like this. You ever notice that? Birds are always active. They're always looking. You ever seen a bird just sitting, they're looking down, then up, then down, then up. They're feeding, and then they look up again. They're watchful, aren't they? Why? Because they're watching for predators. They're watching for, I don't know, the snake to jump out of the tree, or perhaps a larger bird to jump on them. They're, They're watching. They're they're looking, but they're not just also looking for danger. They're looking for opportunities. Where's the next meal to jump over to? Staying very aware of the next work of God in our lives. Again, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And well, today I just want to conclude with five specific points. I'd like to leave some application to what we've talked about this morning for 1 Corinthians 2. Just five applications that I think um, could be applied here uh, amongst uh, your lives, your families, your congregation. Uh, and so, I just, I, again, I just want to end with, with these applications the Lord has, has drawn out of the word. Number one, be aware of the spiritual battle. That's, that's the first step. We just have to be aware of the spiritual battle battle is going on. Um, As we read in 1 Corinthians 2, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So what does it mean to walk in the spirit? Remember the exhortations of scripture, that we're being directed by faith. It's not complicated, it's not sophisticated, it's simple faith in God. And, and that is what we're propelled to do, is walk by faith, not by sight. For the things not seen, but things hoped for in Christ. Number two, stay close to Christ. Put on Christ, as we're admonished to. In close communion with Christ, a close communion with Christ is, is very important to being spiritually watchful. It's very hard to depart from church or from the word of God or from prayer and actually have a spiritual sense, a right spiritual sense. Notice the admonition in Romans 13. And doing this, knowing the time that now is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the light. Let us walk properly as in the day. See, we are men and women of the day. We walk in the light. We put on Christ. 
and we commune closely with him. That is our life. That characterizes, that would be a hallmark of the Christian life, communing with Christ every day. Robert Murray McShane said, for every one look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus, as Proverbs 4 exhorts us to. Let your eyes look straight ahead, not to the right or the left. Let your ways may be established. Remove your foot from evil. And there are times that watchfulness is particularly important, times of trials and tribulation, times when we're more vulnerable to spiritual attack. I, wanna, I want us to actually just take a moment to look at Psalm 23. If you have a Bible, if you would please turn to Psalm 23. I think there's an important consideration for us today. We're going to sing Psalm 23 uh, right after this. But what, what you actually see here is a communion with God. And some of you have probably noticed this, but I just want to point it out if, if you haven't. that There's actually a change of, uh, uh, in the, the writing here. David changes from the third person to the second person. Notice, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He, God, God's here. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And now, he considers some of the challenges in life, doesn't he? And now, it's no longer God is he. He says, for you are with me. There's that switch to the second person. Your rod and staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. It's almost like God in, those, in that valley is coming closer. This is not our God here. It's you are here with me, God. And that communion with God is so important for us. When a trial comes with a watchful and sober heart, God is not a far-off God. He is a close God. He's my God. He's my Lord, my Jesus, my Savior right here with me. And in that way, we must stay close to Christ. Commit to living each day close to him. Thirdly, third application, I'd encourage you to engage in God's work of sanctification. Mature, grow, advance, and strive for Christ-likeness. Deny yourself. Find something every day in which way you can deny yourself. Stay away from sin. Mortify the flesh. Don't get entangled in a yoke of sin, the word says. But may we make our calling and election sure. And may it be propelled by faith. Many of you are, are familiar with the passage in Luke 9 where Christ says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me. Familiar with that, right? When you read Calvin on this, he actually gives an interesting consideration of this. Calvin explains that we actually don't think of this passage rightly. Calvin says that this is not just a once-in-a-while consideration for us. Oh, when, you know, when times get hard, God is going to call me then to deny myself. No, Calvin says this particular passage from Jesus in Luke 9 is for the whole Christian life. It's, it's a daily. It's not an occasional trial. It's a daily living out. It's a daily living out, a daily denying. As Paul said, we die daily to live for him. Perhaps we struggle with this because life is pretty comfortable for us, right? None of us in this room will probably miss a meal today unless we want to. 
But do you know how rare that is? Like historically and even globally, it's very rare. God provides so well. So we must be on guard. Also remember that, uh, that we cannot let sin entangle us or distract us from a watchfulness. Right? We, must, we must be wise in our daily considerations. For example, if you struggle with eating too much candy, as I did for a while in my life, it would be unwise to go into the grocery store and walk up and down the candy aisle. No, we must be wise. We must remove ourselves and distance ourselves from these things to be on guard, to be watchful. We must be not be weighed down by sin because that will distract us from a spiritual watchfulness. Richard Rogers, a Puritan minister, speaks of watchfulness in his, one of his books, A Holy Helps for Godly Life. You may have heard of that. He said, those who desire to be helped by watchfulness, watchfulness must purpose to set their mind on it and delight upon it. They must be content to deal with it like children who are not allowed to handle and play with knives but are kept from occasion to hurt themselves. In other words, the watchful Christian must be diligently keeping themselves from situations where we're likely to be tempted or sin. So we must engage in God's work of sanctification. Number four, be accountable. And I know many of you here are. You're accountable to the church. You're accountable in your family. Your life is, is open. You're not hiding anything. Hebrews 3 gives us a serious warning on this. Take care, my brothers, lest there be any evil in you, an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So in order to stand confidently in Christ, you cannot walk alone. You can't walk alone. For as sinners, we need these continual nudges from one another. Does anyone have one of these new cars with something called Lane departure warning? I don't, but I have a rental car that does, and it's pretty neat. So somehow, I guess it figures out that as you're going out of your lane, it's going to either beep at you, and then some of them actually will like turn the steering wheel back into the lane, which is really amazing. It's kind of scary, but it's also pretty neat. But this was happening to me, and I was thinking, oh, this is kind of what we do for one another in the church sometimes, don't we? In love, we see a brother or sister kind of veering out of the lane. And the Holy Spirit quickens and prompts and even uses one another to go, hey, brother, hey, sister, you're going out of your lane. It's just a little nudge. It's gentle. I like that. And I like that in the, in the rental car. It's like I'm going out of my lane. It just doesn't just like swerve back so that I overcorrect. And No, it's just a gentle, hey, hey, buddy, you're going out of your lane. You might just want to nudge back. And that's how we're to approach one another in love with that gentleness. And what a blessing when we're submitting to accountability to one another, that God does that. Accountability will keep us in tune to the deceitfulness of our own hearts. And we can remember that in account of, when we're accountable, we're not isolated, right? A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all wise judgment, but we're rather humble, accountable, submitting to one another in the reverence of Christ. And fifth, or lastly, we must engage in God's means of grace. Engage in watchfulness by the supernatural means of grace that God has given you. In prayer, in his word, 
and walking in accord with the Spirit. We must feed ourselves spiritually on God's Word. This is soul food, isn't it? It's what man lives upon, not by physical bread alone, but by the Word of God. We must meditate on Scripture. Don't, don't just memorize it. It's good to memorize it, but don't just memorize it. Partake of it. Digest it. May it change your, your life. To be spiritual watchful, we must be in his word. We must know his truth and continue to refill our heart with it. Reading again from Richard Rogers, he says, Prayer quickens watchfulness and puts life into it, causing it to be continued with much cheerfulness and little tediousness, while we prayerfully trust to bless it unto us. So engage in the word, engage in prayer. Exercise spiritual watchfulness and in God's means of grace. In conclusion, we're called to be spiritually watchful. We're called to be discerning, to hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, to take heed, to be awake, to be alert, to be vigilant like the sentry in the guard post, or to be aware, or to anticipate and expect the great works of God, to look past the, the, the spray paint and the broken windows in a church building and to see with, with spiritual hopeful eyes, alive with faith, what God is doing. For we were saved so that we would be free to live by the Spirit of God, by His Word, and in communion with Christ and His church. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this word this morning. And Jesus, we pray that you would bring forth this conviction of the word to bring and bear forth a spiritual watchfulness and a discernment among us over our hearts and also over our ways. That we may consider taking each step in that life that you've given us to be able to see by faith. And that we would step forward in faith, looking for, trusting expecting and anticipating the great works of our God. I pray for your blessing of all of us to receive this. In Jesus' name, amen.